previously on Unbillable Boston. I love a fat celebrity. A so fat, what... slovenly celebrity with bad skin. Can you? It's like, it's like, oh, <laughs> love them. <laughs> what are we talking about here? There, you know uh, what? I don't know. Because Louis C.K.? I'll bet you a hundred bucks that he's thinner than I am. No, he's <laughs> In not. real life. Stop. Drew Barrymore, all right? You think like, yeah. all right, she's beautiful, obviously. Mm. But you think she's kind of regular. Like, oh, yeah, she's she a regular there. girl. Right. You'd see her walking down the street be like, regular cute girl, whatever. Oh, my God. Polly Pocket small. So I'm like, can you sit right? Just sit <laughs> in my lap, please. That's Lauren Falcone on the podcast last week. Uh, she is the morning sidekick on the Lauren and Wally show on WROR and formerly of the Boston Herald talking about uh, celebrity bodies, I guess. Anyway, she was hilarious. Uh, check out all of our old episodes of Unbillable Boston on unbillableboston.com. This is uh, David Yaz, your host. I'm with Morgan Stanley. And joining us shortly will be uh, my co-hosts, Max Perlman and Sarah Worley. As usual, on Unbillable Boston, where we look at the behind-the-scenes angles of Boston business, media, politics, philanthropy, etc., etc. And we've got another great show for you uh, today coming up shortly. You'll hear from Tom Hoops, who is a legendary criminal defense lawyer and his sort of secrets to success and some interesting stories along the way. You will hear from Heather Abbott. This is exciting, Heather. If you don't know Heather, she is one of the more prominent, outspoken survivors of the Boston Marathon bombing a couple years back. And with the uh, marathon coming up again this year, two-year anniversary of that tragedy, uh, we wanted to talk to Heather and hear about her foundation, which, which by the way, is at heatherabbottfoundation.org. She's got an event coming up that uh, she will tell you about. And this is just a little taste of the marathon uh, podcast that we're going to do next week on Unbillable Boston. You'll hear more from Heather as well as some other survivors and uh, some interesting angles and some things you've never heard about the bombing and about the way that the survivors have um, recovered in truly inspirational fashion. Also on the podcast today, you'll hear uh, a little bit from Max Perlman on uh, his thoughts on A-Rod and what the Yankees should do with their troubled uh, superstar. It's uh, it's a real good idea. Wait till you hear it. Anyway, um, again, all of our past episodes, unbillableboston.com. This one's for you, Boston. Just type in the Boston Podcast. Boston's a different city than it was 20 years ago. The hope rises again, and the dream lives on. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. The world will return to this great American city to run harder than ever and to cheer even louder. It's our city, it's our community, it's our podcast, and it's our prerogative to entertain you and talk to you today on Unbillable Boston. So thanks for joining once again. My name is David Yaz, your host from Morgan Stanley. With me is Max Perlman and Sarah Worley, as usual. And this is the point in the show where they say a rather forced hello to our audience. So go ahead, guys. Hello, audience. <laughs> hello. That's good. And with the fake laughter to boot, uh, which, I, which, you know, I enjoy. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, guys. Now, listen, we've got a great guest here today. I say that every week, but we've been lucky in getting some of the great ones. And we heard from Jay Carney recently, uh, who is just one of, the, one of the top criminal defense lawyers in the land. And now, since he's here sitting with us, we'll say we got the guy, only guy who's better, and that's Tom Hoops. Tom, welcome to the show. 
pleasure to be here. Glad you know to hear that intro. Yeah, and uh, oh, okay. I thought he was gonna do the thing where he says, you know, the you know the false humility thing. Eh, we're all great and all that. We'll save that. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom, if you don't know, has been one of the most prominent criminal defense lawyers in in Massachusetts and in Boston. I mean, how long have you been practicing, Tom? Oh, we don't go that deep, huh? Maybe 30, 35 years. 30, 35 years. You also might know him as the legal commentator for Channel 7. I've got that right. Got to get, get the 7. Yeah, and that's, what What are the call letters? I forgot. Oh, it's a little H- HDH. HDH still, yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. HDH. And now, do you, I, I confess I don't know this. Do you still do that from time to time? Well, I do, but I got that. I miss my wife's birthday sometimes, but I got eight, got the call letters down. That was no, the, really good. <laughs> but do you still contribute to the... Oh, all the, the time. You do? You're still yeah, on there? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I got to get back on uh, the, no, the network. No. See, this, watching and, too much Netflix, Dave. It, it's the Netflix. It's the AMCs. It's the, all the, the litany of channels. But That's um, why I always TiVo whenever Tom Hoops is on Channel 7. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And actually, Tom, I remember when you started that, it's, it's a, just a, a success story of PR. That, if, if I'm not mistaken, the guy that placed you on that show was the old PR guy from the Mass Bar Association, Bill Latente. Well, Am I right about that? Well, one? Bill Latente, I'm a creation, I'm a complete creation of Bill Latente. I actually <laughs> got on that, um, the, the, that part of it because uh, Carol Ball, who's a judge who's going to retire sure. soon, was doing the gig and she got a little tied up and she made a call and she said, could you go on? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they liked what I had to say. These were back in the days, probably, do you remember what year you started doing that? Oh, I started, well, I got out of the DA's office in 1989, 1990. I started uh, doing, really, I did. was getting paid, but I started doing work for Bill Latent, mm-hmm. probably in 91, 92. Mm-hmm. So, when know, was OJ? Who remembers? Oh, OJ was 95. Was it 94? Yeah, okay, that's right. 94 was the drama case. Oh, excuse me, 94. You're absolutely correct. I so, can shout for that, yeah. So uh, you probably offered commentary on that trial that's quite how a bit. I ended yeah. up with Channel 7. Which oh, it is? They called me, and they, so I did a little bit of the early stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my wife was pregnant, and uh, I said, I can't do anything before I got to go to the hospital. So we came back from the hospital, and they were waiting outside my house in Melrose with the wow. truck. Well, you know, we came back from the hospital with was so hot. Remember, there was like 240 straight days of coverage back then. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, and that was when Ricky Kleeman really became famous. Yeah, the star, yeah, the lawyer that. from uh, from Massachusetts that went on to court TV fame. I have no idea what she's doing now. Do Still you? doing. She's doing it for uh, another channel. I can't remember. Okay. One of the national. She's actually covering the uh, Sinaiev case for for either the court TV or the equivalent of it uh, nationally. You want a bit of trivia, yeah. which you may not know. Ricky Kleeman auditioned for the role of Michael Corleone's Sicilian bride in The Godfather, or, or, or was that The Godfather Part Two? Uh, who's to say? Uh, you'll remember when Michael, no, I guess it was, was Godfather Part One. Godfather One. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he shoots uh, Salazzo and the cop and has to flee to Sicily, yeah. and he falls in love with uh, an Italian woman, a beautiful actress. I don't know the name of that actress, but... So the Ricky driver, Clay, the one who met her end in the in the uh, in the car. Exactly, yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You remember? I I know English. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right, and she died tragically in the car with Michael screaming. And um, so, so, how do you know this piece of trivia? That's very good. Because I read Ricky's book. Uh, that's why. <laughs> so she's also and, married to. Bill, Bill Brad, Brad, right? Yeah, sure. she is, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful what you say about her, because well, her husband no, has a gun. Yeah. Lovely. She was actually in the DA's office with me, Middlesex DA's office, mm-hmm. in 19... 
way back when. And so we, my claim to fame is is that I actually held a, a campaign sign with Ricky. That's all I can say. A campaign for whom? Well, it was way back for uh, John Droney. Actually, was it was right. it's interesting because if you're trying to talk about people building their practices, so so I had been on the radio prior to that on a couple of a Peter Mead show and a bunch of other stuff. And I had at Bill Latant's request, I'd done everything everywhere. I went out with some guy who was a lawyer in Timbuktu, who was not only asking the questions, but he was running the camera all by himself and you had to go through a rainstorm to get right. there. He's that one kind of, man so, yeah, yeah, so you so hit Channel 7 and you hit OJ and it's like a firestorm. They yeah. say, we're gonna make you a star. And they really believe their own stuff, you know? So they put you up there and da 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 da. Does it get your business? That's a whole nother question. But, you know, media has a lot of impact. Well, that's a question we should answer here yeah. because, and you're the perfect person to ask because you are, well, let's, let's start with this. Do people tend to know you for that? Do people say, hey, saw you on Channel 7, great job last night? Do you get that a lot? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There was a time during OJ when I could walk into the airport and I could get special treatment with my luggage. That that was fabulous going on vacation. Oh. <laughs> I will tell you I will tell you, I will tell you this. Mm -hmm. Six months later, nobody remembers you. After the OJ yep. trial. As soon as oh. it's done, that's it. So, so the only thing that it's repetition and then you you've got to do a great job as a lawyer. Yeah, that's what so, billboards are for, Tom. I'll be right next to you if you pay. <laughs> so your firm now, you have what I describe as like a, a power boutique firm of, of Libby Hoops and how many lawyers in your office? Seven in the office. Seven yeah. in the office. And yeah, the predecessor of Libby Hoops was Kelly Libby Hoops. But in that firm, you launched, I remember this because it, apropos of our discussion on the media and how you promote yep. a professional practice, your firm has done it better than most. I remember the Boston Globe the day you guys announced, great. and there was a great picture of the three of you guys, and you had come from different components of the criminal law world, former prosecutors all, right? Right. right. And I said to myself, that's news, it's certainly news that these three like uh, former prosecutors are forming a firm, but front, what was it, front page <laughs> business or front page? Not, front, not page, front, front page metro. Front page metro? Front page metro. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, am I wrong? That's amazing press. Yeah. So how do you do it? So it's the old thing. It's relationships. So, you know, we had an excuse for the for the, that kind of press. But at the same time, somebody knew somebody at the Globe, right, and had developed a relationship. And it's like everything in life. Somebody had helped somebody. Somebody thought it would be interesting back and forth. They were looking for the, that kind of a story at that particular time. So somebody helped out and because somebody had helped out before. I'll give you the mo more recent example. Flash forward to uh, this past year. No, th pardon me, this year. Um, I had, this is almost embarrassing to say, but it's, it's a lesson in, in media placement. I have a bunch of friends that, uh, just a bunch of guys, and we go on an annual trip every year. And this year, my friend said, you know, I have a son at Arizona State. Why don't I kick him out of his house? We'll all go for the Super Bowl. And we may not go to the game, but we'll go to all the parties and stuff like that. And so the next call he made was to Channel 4 and said, I got an interesting story for you. And I, he must have had a warm relationship with someone over there. Yep. They did not one but two segments on us. <laughs> Just a bunch of guys going. Like, oh, yeah. how, how newsworthy is that? I would suggest not necessarily. Well, right? but, but you know in the business that they've got X amount of time or space, whatever they've got to fill. Right. And they want to fill it with something interesting. And it's just a point. I mean, 
I'm sure you do it too. If I get a call, I return every single call from every reporter, mm. and if only to say I can't comment. And maybe if I can't talk on the record, maybe give them something off the record or give them something in background, and they understand. So everybody's today. I mean, you don't do anything unethical. I would, n I never, never, never talk about my clients. Right. But you try to help and. They understand. So what they criminal affect. defense lawyer would ever do that, really? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, I, I've seen some guys in town who created their reputation by putting themselves before their clients. Uh, Sarah, I'm looking at you, and you and I met when I used to be at Lawyers Weekly, and you were a frequent friend of the paper. But I'm trying to remember sort of how we met, and was it through, I mean, did you, did you become friends with, has this all been a big sham? Did you get to know me just so you wanted positive press, and now I've got you on this podcast? I can remember exactly how we met. Okay. Well, I, I shouldn't say, I don't remember the moment in time because knowing you and I, we were at a bar event and we yeah. both had a couple of drinks. But um, the moment- <laughs> Not why I asked the question. The so, moment we ahead. cemented our relationship yeah. in all seriousness, I was the vice chair of the Judicial Nominating Commission right. in 2006. Mm -hmm. And on Martin Luther King Day, 2006, um, a state trooper showed up at my house knocked on my front door to hand me a new executive order mm -hmm. that Governor Romney had just issued, rescinding his standing order regarding the qualifications for judges up for consideration. Rescinding his own standing order, yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. That meant so, was, he, was, he um, was very clever. I will not name any names, but I had a conversation that evening with the chair of the Judicial Commission, who had also yeah. just received the same order, as did all 22 of us simultaneously that day hand-delivered by a state trooper, and um, I told him that we needed to come and meet with you and show you the orders, lay out the sequence of events for you, because he and I both thought that it was a really important moment that the, Ma the Massachusetts Bar should know about. Right, and what was happening there was Romney had uh, an executive order drafted by his chief legal counsel, Dan Winslow, who was, who was a mad scientist, former judge, brilliant guy, out-of-the-box thinker who had come up with this no-patronage system of appointing judges. And then Romney decided one day, well, except I want to appoint my buddy over here, and so therefore let's throw this whole order out. It turned out to be a good story, but the, the lesson, I guess, to get back to this uh, is that, um, you know, you um, uh, went straight to the top. I mean, now granted, you were uh, on the JNC, on the Judicial Nominating Commission, which is a thing, and so we would probably take your call, but... I wonder if the lesson is that it's it's uh, it's easier than one thinks to get attention, you know, right? I, no, go ahead. Yeah, I think I mean I have, I'm lucky because I have a very good relationship with many of the the writers mm -hmm. for Lawyers Weekly and some of the writers for the Globe. But I think in certain circumstances, um, it is a very good thing to be able to call the editor of a paper of any paper right. and say I have something I want to run by you, and it's not for my benefit. It's for the community's benefit. What do you think? In other words, uh, hey, I just saw this case. I'm not involved in this case at all, but you should know about it, Lawyers Weekly, or whoever the paper is, Boston Business Journal, Boston Globe, and they say, sure, tell me about it, and you're going to be the first person they quote, right? Exactly. I'm looking at you, Max. Your yeah. firm has always embraced attention, and you particularly, um, you know, whether it be in a conference room or on karaoke night at the British Beer Company on Route <laughs> 1 in Walpole, you embrace attention. But, you know, I, I, I do understand yeah. why some lawyers are reticent to, to get out there. It, it is often the case when you're handling uh, corporate clients that 
win or lose, they really don't want to talk about the, the, the dispute. Being in the dispute is not a good thing for them. Uh, win or lose, uh, and they don't want to be known as lit litigators. Uh, so uh, I can see why that's the case. What, Tom, in your memory was the greatest media crush that you experienced in the case that you worked on? Greatest media crush. Well, there's crushes and then there's media exposure. I think OJ was the... But that wasn't your case. That's I not get, my case. Right. Hey, for the greatest media crush, yeah. I, I think last summer coming out with uh, Michael McLaughlin was, was uh, it, you know, and so... I just saw the clip of that on, on YouTube, and you were walking across uh, that uh, walking bridge by the federal court with yep. your client, if I'm not mistaken, yep. and you were do you had your hands in your pockets, you had your head down, you weren't going to talk to anybody no, that day. Well, you're not talking, <laughs> and, and, and so for me, I, I, I have to be honest with you, I don't look for clients that are going to be um, the, with a huge media crush, I'm looking for clients who... I like who can pay, you know, can do all of right. those things. And if the media comes with it, it comes with it. But I second what Max just said, which mm -hmm. is to me, uh, the client is first, second, and third. If it's not in the client's best interest, I don't want any part of the media. There's other ways to get exposure for yourself without exposure through that performance. Can you remember what your toughest loss was? And if you don't want to mention the client by name, I suppose we understand, but can you remember a moment where? Um, it hurt not just no lawyer wants to lose a case but you know it felt like um, you know a turning point in that person's life oh absolutely in fact it's nice to say but it's not nice to say um, when I left the DA's office you know I've been a prosecutor for 10 years and I had to learn how to say not guilty I had to go to school to learn how to say <laughs> not guilty. Right. I took four court-appointed murder cases mm -hmm. time. and one of the kids was a Vietnamese kid um, who um, I got to tell you, I thought I was going to be my cousin Vinny, you know, was going to walk the <laughs> right. case out. And it was a blah, blah, blah. Kid wasn't at the scene, you know, they didn't have any evidence there. Uh, it was a 14 day knockdown, drag out, bloody fight. And um, I lost. And I think about that case every day. I know the prosecutor, you know the prosecutor. And every mm. time I see him, I say, if you come up with any DNA, you come up with anything, you have an obligation to tell me about it. And still, you, still you do. Still, I do. Kids been through, they've been through Project Innocence. You know, they haven't looked at it. So it, when I hit, you know, when all the North Dakota oil money comes in, I'm going back to that kid's case. You're sure, you're sure that he didn't do it? No, I'm sure that it didn't go down the way the prosecutors say it did, and I would like to know how, what happened. He either didn't do it or he didn't do what they said he did. Do you think your client told you the full story to you? Oh, you're asking for state secrets at that point. I can't okay. State secrets. It just it didn't it didn't match up. Great. So so tell us. I'll ask you one more question, and then okay. we're gonna we're gonna let you go, Tom. But um, with all the uh, the high profile cases you've worked on and your successes in building your practice in your professional world, what what are you most proud of? Was there either one moment or one accomplishment that you look back on and you say, yeah, that, that's kind of what it's all about? Oh, gee. Well, there's the most fun, and then there's the thing you're most... Uh, so, so on the most fun, I think on the most most proud of is two different things. Most proud of is, I think, is uh, the Massachusetts Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, mm -hmm. which was down to two guys, you know, uh, way back in 1989, 1990. So making that 
jumpstart into the 800 warriors it is today 800 today 800 today what's the let's let you plug it the, the, if people want to know about that uh, is there a website well they got a website it's a professional organization and, uh, and say it again it's the it's called the massachusetts association of criminal defense lawyers right and Mackle, what it does yeah. is yep Mackle, let's lawyers criminal defense lawyers be equals with judges rather than mm. the situation when i came out from being a prosecutor uh, you know you were a sitting duck for any judge you want and that's not the case today so there's an equal relationship. Judges in charge, but there's 800 of us out there. Mm -hmm. Some great lawyers, Jay Carney, who had on last week, sure. and Ben Yeomans worked for that. Most fun. The most fun was uh, being involved in the Red Sox uh, deal when oh, right. came. That was the, that was a blast. So tell us for our audience. Tell us what your connection to the sale of the Red Sox was. That was back in oh, uh, I want to say Only I had a relationship, you know, with people who um, were making decisions at the time. So mm -hmm. when the new owners came in. Um, the question was, were they going to be able to come in or not? Mm -hmm. Because they bought the team, and the question was, was um, was it going to be allowed to go forward? So we just needed to do a little brokering. So, but it was it was fun to watch the guys who are in charge now, John Henry and Larry Lucchino, and you could just tell right then it was going to be the curse was going to end. Yeah, well, you were part of that. You hold well, you hold it. It's just a small role. These guys <laughs> were these guys are pro ball players, and, and they I. You, Never thought we were going to win three, but I knew the curse. Well, I can tell you it was an exciting time for me to be acquainted with you back then because you, I don't remember, I think you, in fact, you did. You introduced me to Joe Bayline, Joe Bearline, who was one of the top PR guys yep. in the city. Yep. And you, now, did Joe introduce you to the Red Sox Joe, press? Joe, yeah, Joe, okay. the guy who uh, called Larry and said, this is the guy. Yeah. And so, it just real quick, like, how do you know, how'd you get to know Joe? Joe, Joe, I got to know Joe on a case. I had a very high-profile front page of the Boston Globe, nonprofit that mm -hmm. was uh, in trouble because of some issues regarding a restraint, and I needed help. I called Joe. Long story, but Joe turned it around. It took us about ten days to turn it around, mm -hmm. which, and completely turn it around, all because of Joe. Who let me plug him is the best PR guy uh, over at uh, Rasky Bearline, Bear and and it, I just I find that fascinating the way these things work out. You you know you were introduced to me working on a case a uh, wow. PR element you meet a top PR guy and you treat him well and you and you stay in touch the next yeah. thing you know he's introducing you to the Red Sox brass and you have a, yeah. a little part in the sale of the team and you have great seats to the Sox and uh, we, we, we we tried that. what's the old <laughs> thing you know they say if a butterfly flaps its wings in Georgia do you feel the breeze in Boston the answer is yes you do, <laughs> yes, you do. well it's been a treat having you here Tom. And um, over at the, the law firm of Libby Hoops, I believe you're LibbyHoops.com, is that correct? LibbyHoops.com, thank you firm. for the promo. We Excellent. appreciate it very much, and it's great to be on the greatest host in Boston. Wow, thank you. Fun stuff happens. <laughs> thank you, Tom. We hope you come back soon. We'll have you back, and thank you. We'll return soon on Unnoble Boston. segments led by my pal Max Perlman we go to Max's power move There's three ways to do things the right way the wrong way and the max power way no one man should have all that power max power max power max power all right Max we await with bated breath what's the topic for the oh this, this is going to be a good one so, okay. so um with baseball season almost upon us, I've got a power move mm. for 
my least favorite team in the major leagues, which oh, is, boy. of course, the Yankees, the New York Yankees. I've hated them my whole life. Thank God. I'm going to have to ask you to leave if you answer differently. But, go but ahead. you know, I, I do have a, I, I, I have a solution to one of their biggest problems. So they've mm-hmm. got an issue with this, uh, this former shortstop, former third baseman. Um, A-Rod. A-Rod. Yeah. And they're slated to pay him a lot of money over the next few years right. unless he quits. Wouldn't that be nice for them? No, or, if he, yeah, if he if quits, he, he not do the money. That's right. right. And he's, yep. he's due all sorts of bonuses for passing different people. And right. and he's also uh, he's also due uh, – or, or, so he could either quit and right. not be entitled to the money, or if he gets injured, the Yankees are insured. So here's okay. what I think the Yankees should do. Mm-hmm. And this is coming from, from an employment lawyer. Oh, sorry, go ahead. What they should do is they should make him their catcher. <laughs> and they should not let him use equipment. Like not, not, <laughs> not give him a cup. No mask, no anything like that. Yeah. Would there be anything in his contract that would... Now, if they go tell him to play left field, I think he would have to play left field. If he refused, then he's insubordinate, and I take it in violation of the they contract. Might be able to, they might be able to terminate the contract if he doesn't go out. But if he doesn't take the field, they say, go play left field. If he doesn't take the field, well, I think that would be grounds uh, to terminate Contracts the are meant to be interpreted reasonably, right? So yeah, in He the, might in the have a, a covenant safety. of good faith and fair right. dealing to claim, but I, I would love to see it. I'd love to see... And they should give him, like, a second baseman's mitt. <laughs> and I, I can see, like, CeCe Sabathia on the mound. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodriguez drops number one, which means fastball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and CeCe basically burns up his left hand with a fastball into a little Joe Morgan mitt. While you're at it, make him wear a little Bo Peep outfit. While he, You know, we're out of uniforms, uh, A-Rod. Sorry, you're going to have to wear this. That's right. Tell him you all can... we have is extra, extra small. Right. So he has got like kind of a midriff showing when he's yeah they need to embarrass him or injure him somehow to to uh, to avoid the rest of that contract. Not since the days of George Costanza with the New York Yankees have such innovative ideas come forth. You from know, Major I'm going to take baseball. that as the yep. nicest thing you've ever said. To I me. agree. Okay. All right, so um, Brian Cash is he still with the Yankees? Brian yes, Cashman? He is. Yeah, yeah, Brian Cashman and uh, Hank Steinbrenner. If you're listening, a rod behind the plate, no equipment. And the little little bull peep is up. Thank you, Max. Austin Powers lost in translation with a And welcome back to Unbillable Boston. This is your host, David Yaz. Hope you're doing well today. We've been talking about the marathon and uh, remembering the, the tragedy that was just two years ago. And uh, I mean, to me, it still seems like yesterday it was. Um, such a horrible, horrible day, and yet the stories of inspiration and pride and everything that have come out of it, I think we'd all agree, have been uh, nothing short of remarkable. And I have a special treat right now being able to speak to Heather Abbott. Now, I uh, got introduced to Heather uh, probably a few months after the, the marathon in 2013. Heather's shaking her head yes. They can't see that on a podcast, <laughs> Heather. It's okay. But... Um, and uh, was immediately struck by her story, and uh, I got to meet your mom, which was cool. How's she doing? She's doing great. Yeah? Yeah. Um, she seemed to be very proud of you. Um, and since that horrible day, Heather has become one of the real heroines of the story, uh, in my opinion. You've seen her uh, in interviews. You've seen her speaking engagements. You've seen her charitable efforts. You've seen her on the field at Fenway, and were you at uh, Gillette as well that night, or no? I was, Against yes. the Patriots. 
Did the Bruin, were you on the ice at the Bruin, at any Bruins game? I never got to go to the Bruins. Oh, well, okay. Listen up, Bruins. If you can hear me, get Heather over there because um, you just have such a, uh, a literal and figurative brave face during this whole thing. And um, I always have said that we needed that, that um, we can't, those of us who weren't on Boylston Street can't, don't pretend to understand, you know, what you've been through. And yet I think we were all hurt by it in some fashion, most of us anyway. I mean, those of us that grew up in this area. I mean, it was an affront to, to our city. It was an affront to our way of life. It was, uh, and we needed people to stand up and be proud and help us get on. And, and may I just say that you were um, right, uh, the leader, one of the leaders of that pack. So um, we're going to talk to Heather today about her foundation. Um, but tell us, have you even, does it sometimes feel like you haven't even caught a breath in the last <laughs> couple of years? I mean, what does it feel like? Um, yeah, it's sort of a whirlwind, um, and it hardly feels like it's been almost two years now. Mm -hmm. um, things have certainly been busy, but um, there have been a few times where things slow down a little bit. Um, but, you know, uh, with the anniversary coming up, and certainly the trial, it's, um, it's been in the forefront of everyone's mind again. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the foundation. Let, let's get all the, the vital facts right up front. You, you're having an event. It's coming up. Uh, by the time people hear this, it'll probably be this, this coming uh, Sunday, right? It's on a Sunday. What's the date? Yes, it's Sunday the 19th. Okay. And, and it's at Town Restaurant on Boylston yeah. Street, right next to the Heinz Convention Center. And now Town was town was was affected or wasn't affected that, uh, by the bombing? That not thing, that no. I know yeah. of. Okay. Um, I was I wasn't at Forum in front of right. Forum right. Um, when the the second bomb exploded, mm -hmm. and um, had planned to have the party there, but they closed. Oh right, I know that was sad, right? Yeah. Because they had. They had a couple of uh, sort of comeback fundraisers there, I think. At um... They did. I got to go to their uh, grand reopening mm -hmm. in August after the bombing, and it was so nice to be there with the owners and the managers and the mayor mm -hmm. um, and the folks from the Joe Andrewsy Foundation, you mm -hmm. know, all there to, to celebrate their recovery. Right. Um, so it would have been nice to see them last a little longer. Yeah. Do you expect a lot of your uh, friends that you? That, I mean, this has become a sort of fraternity sorority, right? I mean, in, in a in a way that you've uh, you get to know these people because you see them at all the events. But I take it, is this one of the nice things that's come out of a, a tragedy? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially the amputees, I've become very close to, mm -hmm. and um, we're a pretty tight group. And we always say that um, we are part of a club that we never would have asked to join, but we're in some pretty good company. That's, um, that's, it's funny you say that because we just on the podcast had, uh, Kevin White, who's, um, was there with his, his, his folks, uh, Mary Jo and Bill and, and, you know, Bill lost a leg and had, he's, he's bravely recovered, but that apparently is what Bill always says is, is, yeah, we're part of this. It's nice to be part of this club, even though none of us wanted to be part of it. Yes, exactly. Um, so tell us what the. First of all, uh, you said uh, it's at town. Well, what, is, what, what time is that? It's from 1 to 5. Okay. And um, it, so anyone can, can go if they contribute? Is that... uh, yeah, it's open to the public, okay. and we're not requiring a donation. Uh, okay. Although they're appreciated. Right. Um, and this is the launch of your foundation, the Heather Abbott Foundation. Yeah. So tell us about it. Uh, we just incorporated in December. Um, and I had thought about putting together the foundation for quite a while. Um, you know, before I became an amputee, I had no idea what it was like to wear a prosthetic leg, what sorts of 
costs were involved, medical appointments, nothing like that. Um, I guess I assumed that if you lost a leg, you got a prosthetic leg and that was it. Right. Um, I really didn't give it much thought, but um, having been thrust into that world so suddenly, um, I got a fast lesson in the uh, tremendous costs associated with prosthetic legs and devices in general. Um, and As much as how much? Um, they can go anywhere from uh, $30,000 to over $100,000. That's crazy, huh? It's crazy. And a lot of them, I understand, you have to replace every three or four years or something like that? Yeah, they say um, for a wear and tear every right. three to five years they yeah. need to be replaced. So that's a huge expense. It's huge, and um, typically insurance will cover one leg that you need for walking. Mm -hmm. But if you want any kind of a specialized leg for um, any activities like running or um, bicycling or swimming or um, my favorite, wearing high heels, <laughs> you're on your own. Which you've already done, right? You've, but but, but you're, you're back wearing high heels and, and running? Yes. I saw a great photo of you with, um, which I take it as your athletic prosthetic. I'm, that's my term. I don't know what you call it, but it's, it, it looks really space age and it's got uh, what looks to be a, I don't know what that's made of, titanium, uh, the, the, the actual sort of blade at the end. It's carbon fiber. Okay. Yeah. And that's my running leg. That's your running leg. Yeah. So, so this boggles my mind. This, this, um, one of the things that, um, and Heather's turning her phone off now. Bad girl, bad girl. Um, let's see. Penalty sound effect for that. Okay, we forgive you. Um, but uh, that's one of the things that I learned. I got to meet um, Paul Norton. You've, you've, you've met Paul, right? Yeah. Okay, so Paul was one of the two brothers, just salt of the earth guys, uh, Paul and, and uh, JP, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And uh, they both lost legs. And the day I met Paul, it was just a number of months after the after the bombing and and he was wearing jeans and I saw him come off the elevator and I swear it looked like he you know had pulled a muscle playing softball or something if I didn't know any better um, and he was telling me about the the prosthetic and that it was you know uh, advanced and modern and all that so how far can you run uh, <laughs> I haven't run all that far right. I, and I wasn't a long-distance runner. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. So you didn't even like it to begin with. So I did, I did <laughs> All right. because I had to. And, yeah. and then I didn't want to give it up, you know, right. even though I didn't love it before. Um, so I can still do it. Um, I don't run more than three miles. Three miles? That's more than I run. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. So that, and, and, but it's, but for those first, you know, uh, for first couple miles or something, is, is it, um, do you experience pain, discomfort? I mean, I, I'm sure it's not perfect, but right, it's not. Uh, it's not exactly comfortable. Right, and it, you know, it just feels strange. Because, right, um, one of your legs is is uh, bouncier than the other. I oh, guess. okay. Um, yeah. So it's it's you know a little hard to get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one prosthetic. Is the is the high heel a completely different uh, prosthetic? It is. Yes. Okay. That's a separate leg. Now, t t what do you say to the people who say, "I mean, come on, you don't need that." No one's ever said that to me, but if they did. <laughs> um, Give me I, their name and we'll take care of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't imagine somebody saying that because it's your leg. Let me ask it a different way. Like, why is, it, why is that important? Well, for me, it was important because it was part of who I was before. And, um, you know, I had a decision to make as far as amputating my leg. I could have kept my leg. I still wouldn't have been able to wear high heels if I kept it. Um, 
But one of the reasons that I chose to have it amputated was because I was told by doctors and other amputees that I would be able to do all the things that I did before, and my life wouldn't have to change as much as if I kept it. And that's one of the things I did, was wear high heels and dresses, and that was definitely a big part of who I was. You're a girly girl. I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's great. And I I was, lest you thought otherwise, I was trying to goad you into the answer, which I fully believe is you you deserve that. I mean, I think that's very important to, to be... You know, just as much as you, you were before, and um, so, but not obviously not everybody can afford these, and and you know uh, you've been fortunate. Well, that leg actually was donated to me. Okay. Um, so I was really lucky, and um, I, my running leg was donated to me through the Challenge Athletes Foundation, um, mm-hmm. and I was lucky because I was able to get those donations, and I didn't have to look for them. You know, people knew about okay. me. Um, but had I been somebody who had been in a car accident and lost a leg, mm-hmm. nobody would know about me. And I might not know about the resources available. And, and that's what I found, is that a lot of people aren't able to get the things that they want because either they don't know about the, the different foundations that are out there or um, they didn't meet a certain criteria, just haven't been successful in, in getting what they want. Mm-hmm. And there, there aren't a lot of um, uh, that... Um, help people get cosmetic looking legs, like my head, oh, okay. the one I have on. Yeah. Um, so I've met a lot of women, especially, mm-hmm. who really want a leg like that. Mm-hmm. And just that cover, the cosmetic cover that goes over the leg alone, mm-hmm. is between fifteen dollars and $20,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, most people can't afford it, and then to have to replace it every three to five years. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, that was one of the real important reasons that I started the found- my foundation. So the idea is that you build up some money in the foundation, and then there'll be some sort of uh, like what hap- what happens next? Like let's, let's say you, you, you're successful and you've got some fair amount of money in there. Um, yeah, I think that there are a few people that sort of inspired me to start the foundation in the first place um, that I'd like to help. Mm-hmm. And um, then what we plan to do. And is... are these people fellow survivors or? No. No. Um, okay. No, I think you know. Us survivors have been helped so much, um, but I think, you know, I recognize that there are a lot of people that didn't have that, right. that same um, assistance. So some of the other people I've met um, who have been really supportive and um, have watched me get all these legs that I wanted, but mm-hmm. I know that they can't have them themselves, um, that I'd like to help. And then I think what we'll do is have a, a application process mm-hmm. and then um, have a grant period. Okay. Do you have a staff, or, or, or am I looking at the staff? <laughs> I, have, I do have some oh, folks cool. that help me. Okay. Um, I met them last June in Orlando. I was doing a, a speech for the Society of Human Resource Management, mm-hmm. and I told them about my idea at the time, and they were really interested in helping me out. So um, for, um, I guess, about nine months now, we've been working together to, to stand up the foundation, and, and they've all put in a lot of work. That's great. Yeah, the only other one I've heard of is the one that Adrian Haslett Davis supports, the Limbs for Life, but I don't think they do any of the, the cosmetic, um, like fancy ones that you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure, right? But um, you, you, must, uh, you must get, do you ever get mistaken for Adrian? I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I knew it because, <laughs> because I told someone I was bragging that I was going to sit down with you and someone said, Heather, oh, I, oh yeah, Heather Rabbit, she's great. She's the dancer, right? And I said, no, that's the other one. So. <laughs> People always ask me if I'm the dancer or yeah. when I'm going to start dancing again. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, 
well, we have to come up with a clever retort for that, right? Like, no. <laughs> like, um, we'll work on that. We'll have it by the end of the show. So, um, and um, before we forget, the, the website for, uh, tell us about that, where, where people go. The website is heatherabbottfoundation.org. Mm -hmm. And you can learn more about the foundation and um, also donate online. Okay. Um, and after the foundation launch party in April, we'll have some pictures up. And I had some amputee friends of mine help me um, with taking some pretty dynamic pictures of them um, being active and then in their everyday life. So we'll be putting those up there, too. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break here on Unbillable Boston, talking here with Heather Abbott of the Heather Abbott Foundation. And uh, check it out online, Heather, heatherabbottfoundation.com, right? Okay, .org. Don't do the .com. We'll be right back with Heather Abbott. Stay with us. And that's the podcast for the week. This is David Yass from Morgan Stanley signing off. More from Heather Abbott next week and much more on the marathon as we look back at the, the bombing two years later. Lots of great stuff. Check us out online, unbillableboston.com. If you want to email us, it's unbillableboston at gmail.com. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time.